This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. And it was extraordinary watching us all experience it in different ways, including the producers actually in at Docklands, where tape rooms and tape cupboards were falling down. It was quite extraordinary in Docklands, I understand. The Bulldogs um, are in my heart and soul. Um, I'm a doggy from birth and uh, I come from a multi-generational Western Bulldogs family. Both my parents grew up in, in Footscray and I always went to the footy with my dad and my sister and when I used to go to the Witten Oval when we used to play games there I would stand on a wooden box that was made by my grandfather. All I've wanted, as you know, is a puppy called Snips. That's all I want. Well, everybody's been feeding in. Oh, you can't call it Snips because it sounds like a vasectomy. Oh, I'm not going to the park and yelling out Snips. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Everybody and welcome to episode 190 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. It is grand final week here in Australia and on a day when the world is cracking up in so many ways, we have rioters on the streets of Melbourne causing injury and destruction. Melbourne is preparing for an all-Victorian grand final, which no Victorians can watch in person. And the state has just been rocked this morning as I speak on Wednesday by the largest earthquake in the history of European settlement, Caro Wilson. Are you still with us? Well, I don't think it's the largest in the history of European settlement. I think there was a fairly important one in New Zealand a few years ago, Corrie. Victoria, darling, Victoria. um, Oh, in Victoria, yes. Um, Yeah, it was. Um, Look, um, one thing, some Victorians will be able to watch the grand final, those who um, flew to Perth and are in quarantine and... We're going to be chatting with Kylie Watson-Wheeler, president of the Western Bulldogs, of course, off the back of our chat with Kate Roffey from Melbourne last week in the interests of fairness and interest. But, Corrie, wasn't it extraordinary? Well, I was sitting in my car, having just uh, walked around the tan with my dog, Queenie. She was in the back seat and I was having a Zoom meeting with all the footy classified boys. And it was extraordinary watching us all experience it in different ways, including the producers actually in at Docklands where tape rooms and tape cupboards were falling down. They all, they all ran down the stairs down to the ground floor because the shaking was quite extraordinary in Docklands, I understand. Sitting in a car was a very, very strange experience and it went on, it felt as though it went on for minutes, didn't it? Where were you? Where, where did you, uh, what, what did you notice when you are in the car? How could you kind of feel it? Well, it was Matthew Lloyd who alerted me to it because I was talking and he said, and we watched all the boys running around and he said, I think this is an earthquake. And then I realised, no, the car was shaking. Oh, wow. The car was shaking and I looked outside and people who were walking on that domain area of the botanical garden, botanic gardens were um, all looking extremely shocked and stopping in their tracks. And, you know, I've wandered around Paran, you know, not, not far from there and... There's, there's a fair bit of damage, I've got to say, along Chapel Street and, and near the Paran Town Hall and, and the municipal offices. A lot of um, supermarkets closed and, and a lot of damage. Well, I was, um, 
I was here at home. I was supposed to be recording an interview with our hero, literary hero, Paul Oster, the eminent American writer. Uh, I was doing it for the Wheeler Centre. I was supposed to go into the Wheeler Centre, but um, the protesters probably, you know, put a stop to that, I guess. They were the reason we couldn't go to town. So I was recording it from home and we were about four minutes into the interview with Paul in New York and all of a sudden I looked out, like the house started shaking. I thought there must have been a truck or something in the driveway, something weird. Saw all the birds outside, just bird life everywhere going crackers. And um, my, my laptop through which I was talking to Paul started shaking and all I could think of was, this is going to be really hard for um, the Wheeler Centre to edit. So I just held on to my laptop, talk about the show goes on. And, um, yeah, it was it was um, bizarre. And Paul, later we said to him, look, we didn't want to interrupt, but we actually had an earthquake. Well, he just about fell off his chair. He couldn't believe it. He said, that's the first time that's ever happened to me. That's um, that's extraordinary, and I've got to say the timing is pretty extraordinary, isn't it? In a what has been a fairly miserable week for Melbourne, a bit of a frightening week, really, off the back of those protests yesterday, those very violent protests, and um, yes. you know the long roadmap out of um, what has been a pretty miserable winter and its grand final week, and that's over in Perth, and and th then we have an earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mother um, I think Mother Nature's had enough of us. But Carol, we are not going to be grim today on our little podcast. We have, as you said, Kylie Watson Wheeler, the president of the Western Bulldogs, is joining us soon. Miles will be with us with a wonderful idea for picnic uh, alcohol drinking. So now that we can go and have picnics with a couple of friends, he has uh, a couple of ideas for us. You have a terrific screen. I have a book and a wonderful recipe. And as well, we might have a quick chat in six quick questions about the Brownlow Medal fashions. But, Caro, first on to housekeeping. Um, I would like to say hello to Woodstock underscore farm, who sent us a note on Instagram saying, just making the parmesan and rosemary thins. The dough came out together. The dough came together quite well with a few more pulses of the processor and I didn't have to add liquid. Thanks for your great pod. I especially love your recipes and book suggestions. Jenny, thank you, Jenny, from Woodstock Farm. That was the recipe. Remember last week, Carol, I said I was having such terrible trouble with my dough. Well, clearly putting it in a food processor works. Great tip, Corrie. Great tip. And Jane Lubinus via email said, what a great interview with Kate Roffey. It is a wonderful situation. We have two female presidents vying for the premiership. And Jane says one of her daughters moved to WA in January and she's managed to get some tickets. So they're all very excited and um, thanked us for the podcast. Thank you, Jane. You've been such a wonderful listener to our podcast through all these years. Um, a lot of love for you, Caro, on, and congratulations on winning the Alf Brown, with which you shared with Sam McClure. Um, Elizabeth Gayton said that she had... Um, known Sam when he was in primary school at Sandy Bay, but he'd lost. She'd lost contact with him, so she was very pleased to hear um, what he has been up to. Um, have you got any apologies or housekeeping or anything, Caro? Well, I did enjoy that note from um, Sam's old teacher, which I passed on to Sam, and he enjoyed it as well. So it's with great pleasure. 
off the back of Kate Roffey last year on Don't Shoot, last week on Don't Shoot the Messenger. This week we get to speak of the president to the president of the Western Bulldogs, Kylie Watson Wheeler. Kylie is not only the Western Bulldogs president in her first year in the job, she finds herself a grand final president. Um, Kylie is also obviously the senior vice president and managing director of the Walt Disney Company Australia and New Zealand. Thank you so much for joining us, Kylie. And do we find you in quarantine? Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm so happy to join you. And yes, I am sitting here in quarantine. I've been here since the Friday before the prelim. So it's been an interesting ride so far. How does one um, handle quarantine with board meetings? And I, I would imagine you had the Zoom situation the other day with all the other presidents in the AFL Commission. Gee, it must be a tough yes. way of doing business. Well, it's been pretty manic uh, between, obviously, all of the uh, the football obligations uh, these couple of weeks, as well as my, my day job. But unfortunately, we're so used to Zoom, aren't we? So it's it's not that different, really, from my normal life, just, just a little bit more manic. <laughs> I can absolutely imagine. And, and do you get out on the Saturday morning or the Friday night? Yeah, my quarantine expires midnight, Friday night, so um, I'll be all set to, to head out on Saturday morning, which I'm super excited for. Well, for, for everyone who loves footy, and particularly every woman who loves footy, it is so extraordinary to have two woman presidents for the first time. It's going to be an historic event either way. Can you take me through um, what has been, first in the short term, the journey through the finals to this grand final appearance, which... I guess at the end of the home and away season, you must have started doubting whether it was going to happen, or maybe you didn't. Well, I guess one of the things that's consistent at the Bulldogs is that it seems we like to do it a, the hard way. I think it's in our DNA. <laughs> we don't tend to take the easy road. Um, but uh, last time we took a hard road, we ended up with the cup, so I'm, I'm fine from that perspective. But it's certainly been a roller coaster ride across the countryside for our playing group and for all of those that have been supporting them on the road so we're incredibly proud of their resilience and de determination that they've really shown to to see it through and so to be at the end of that journey and and to being able to front up on grand final day is, is pretty special and i'm sure is is worth all the sacrifice that's that's been made to this point the western bulldogs have really led the way in terms of gender equality you were a pioneer of the aflw along with melbourne which this sort of makes it quite fitting in a way. But un unlike Kate, who is trying to get another woman or two onto her board, your board is made up of 50% women. Can, can you sort of tell us how that came to be and who was the proactive one in that situation? Well, Cara, it's really happened organically and I think it really talks to the culture of our club and, and our focus is always on you know, what is it that our club needs at board level um, you know, what do we need uh, from a skill set to ensure that we have the best governance possible? Um, and through that lens, we always just look for the best possible person for that role. And so organically, we've ended up with 50% of women on the board. There's never been a quota. We've never selected a woman to try to make up numbers. It's always been because when we've gone through a process seeking a certain skill set, that's where it's landed. So uh, we have a, an exceptional board. I'm really proud of the entire group, um, both the, the women and the men. Um, they're all incredibly passionate. Um, they all lean in, as you know. They do it 
through a volunteer lens. And the other, the other sort of extraordinary, well, well, not extraordinary, but it was extraordinary when the Bulldogs won in 2016. Peter Gordon always indicated that he was in the job for the second time for a good time and not a long time. At what point did he start to talk to you about filling his shoes? Well, Peter and I had worked together for some time um, and, you know, we had a really strong alignment. I became his vice president after that grand final win in 16. And I really felt like I was on an apprenticeship with him, which was wonderful because he really taught me a lot about club governance and the role of the president. And so I think we both felt that this was the right time. And so it was a really nice, seamless, easy transition, both for the two of us and for the club. It was extraordinarily seamless. And it's obviously ended up with a grand final again. Is Peter over in Perth out of interest? Will he be there for the game? The game? No, he's not. But um, I do speak to him regularly. And, of course, he's incredibly incredibly proud of, of all of us and, and for the club and, and couldn't be more excited. So um, I'm sure I'll be speaking to him via text throughout the, the game and, and hopefully a celebratory call at the end. <laughs> I, what I would... Um I'd love to hear is um, a little bit more about you've obviously navigated in your AFL role brilliantly to get I mean I know it's it's a team effort and it's you know top down really when teams do well but the, the other huge challenges that COVID has brought into Australia and around the world is is in the entertainment industry and it's just been extraordinary what we've been able to do here in Australia isn't it? And I'd love to hear how, how, what sort of role you've played in that and some of the productions you've brought to Australia as a result of us being able to operate in that, in that area through COVID. Well, I think one of the things that, that has really helped in Australia in, in both of the industries that you mentioned um, is that as a culture, I think, you know, we're, we're very adaptable and I do think we've been able to... Uh, adapt and, and pivot and change direction very quickly. And I think as a result, we've been able to, to bring entertainment uh, to the community, which, I mean, obviously, given the highs and lows that everybody has been through, it's been an incredibly challenging time. You know, it continues to be so. But, you know, it's entertainment and sport that brings that welcome distraction. So it's really wonderful that we've been able to deliver that to our community. It's just been extraordinary. And I, and I look forward to some of the productions that I haven't seen that, that I'm sure we're going to see on our screens over the next few years. Tell me, does um, Gillan McLaughlin ever chat to you about the future of the media rights and streaming and, and where he thinks that might go. I'd, I'd love to, I'm sure he'd love to get your thoughts on it at times. <laughs> uh, I've only ever had any conversations with Gil specifically about that um, around the president's table. So not, not necessarily specifically directly one-on-one, -on -one, but, um, but perhaps in the future. Yes, it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting future. Um, it's quite, it was quite interesting talking to people on Monday night who couldn't stream the Brownlow because of the way it was being handled by the Seven Network. And I just feel they're on the, we're on the brink of something quite special in the way we watch, enjoy. I mean, I, I know it's a sport and it's a way of life, but in the end, it's just a wonderful piece of entertainment, isn't it? This great game of ours. Yeah, and we're certainly on the cusp of evolution in, in media and, and the way in which media is delivered to consumers based on how they want to watch it. So I think um, both 
broadcasters and people who own the content, you know, really need to be open to, to new ways of delivering that that content to their audiences. Kylie, I know you've told this, you've told your story many times about your love of the Bulldogs, but for Don't Shoot the Messenger uh, listeners, I'd love to hear about how it was you fell in love with the Western Bulldogs and then your journey onto the board. Oh, well, the Bulldogs um, are in my heart and soul. Um, I'm a doggie from birth and uh, I come from a multi-generational Western Bulldogs family. Most of my parents grew up in, in Footscray and I always went to the footy with my dad and my sister and when I used to go to the Witten Oval when we used to play games there, I would stand on a wooden box that was made by my grandfather. So it's really in, in my blood and, and in my in my history and so interwoven uh, with you know who I am and how I feel about my family. So um, it's been quite the journey. Uh, I was at the Save the Bulldogs rally when when uh, Peter Gordon uh, was making the amazing speech to save our club and I was sitting behind the, the goals. I was in year 12, uh, in my year 12 study week. So to be taking over from him as president around about three decades later is, is, pretty, is pretty surreal. We're talking with Kylie Watson-Wheeler, the president of the Western Bulldogs. Corrie, um, I'm sure you'd love to have a chat to Kylie as well. Kylie, Lovely to meet you. It's Corey here, and I am really full of admiration for you and all of the gang at the Western Bulldogs. As you say, it does seem such a long time ago when there was there was the fragility of the future for the club, um, but in many ways it probably just feels like yesterday as well to you. I wondered how are you going to share uh, whatever happens on Saturday, whatever the result is, it's still a wonderful achievement. How are you going to share this with the Western Bulldogs clan back in Melbourne? What's the plan and how are you going to help fans celebrate? Uh, hi, Corrie. Yeah, look, it's obviously hugely disappointing that our fans and our families can't be at the grand final in person. Um, but obviously we hope that it still brings them immeasurable joy um, at a time when they've all been doing it so tough. But as far as engaging our fans goes, our staff back in Melbourne have been working absolutely tirelessly engaging those fans, fulfilling thousands of merchandising orders, um, uh, creating do-it-yourself grand final at home packs for our fans to enjoy. Um, and then, of course, our fans themselves have been incredibly passionate decorating their houses and the streets, and it's been so wonderful to see those amazing murals and front fences, uh, you know, really, really take over the whole town. Um, and I think one of the things we've been trying to do as well is really ensuring that our fans feel like they're on the journey uh, with our playing group. So... You know, we've been you know, certainly engaging with them through social media and giving them insights into what the boys are up to here and, and what they're experiencing um, and how they're preparing for the, for the big day. And then certainly once, hopefully, when we bring that cup back, you know, we, we certainly hope that, that the COVID restrictions will allow us to um, engage with our fans one way or another. But at the very least, we have our Charles Sutton medal next Wednesday, uh, which will be held virtually and all of our fans will be able to connect in on and, and watch and enjoy. I tell you what, when you all get together eventually in person, it's going to be Did one you, hell of um, a party, isn't it? <laughs> well, we certainly hope so, that's for sure. And Kylie, <laughs> what about, so what about next year? Because obviously uh, most of the clubs are now thinking about next year. You, you and Melbourne, of course, have your focus for this weekend. But COVID and these lockdowns have presented so, so all the clubs with so many challenges this year. 
what what do you really have to address pretty quickly? Well, I think the first thing will be getting our AFLW season up and running and, and ensuring that our girls um, are, are ready and are prepared for the season that, of course, has been delayed, but will be kicking in um, early in the new year. And then after that, I guess it, it continues to be that we need to remain uh, agile and open to different ways of doing things based on uh, you know, whatever this environment throws at us. But hopefully we'll start to see some of the restrictions lifting as we head into the end of the year and, and we can start planning for football with uh, our, our fans and our spectators in the stadium, fingers crossed. Kylie, um, Marcus Bontempelli, um, the most valuable player, is voted by his peers this season. Uh, just an incredible ambassador for your footy club, for all of football, really. We've got wonderful posters of him all around Melbourne. How did you um, deal with um, Sunday night when he got so close to winning the Brownlow? Well, Marcus is not only, of course, a wonderful player and exceptional leader but he is a person of the highest quality and he is is such a wonderful young man wise and mature beyond his years so there's no question I was certainly disappointed for him um, but 33 votes is certainly nothing to sneeze at and I know that that Marcus would have his eye on the prize this this Saturday but still an amazing achievement and we're incredibly proud of him. I realise that you're in quarantine and you haven't really got to soak up the atmosphere of hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime event, which is a Perth Grand Final. But can you tell us um, how it's going down over there and the sort of what you're expecting in terms of supporters at the ground and how strong that, that support will be at Optus Stadium? Well, certainly what I'm hearing and, and seeing on the local media here and in the newspapers and, and on the TV that there's an, an enormous amount of excitement. I think there's a recognition from the people of Perth that this could be a once-in-a-lifetime for them and they've really embraced it. Uh, they've embraced both the Bulldogs and the Ds and, uh, you know, there, there are lots of um, murals being painted around town here too, which is, which is wonderful to see in a national competition. So I think the, um, the, the, the Perth community is super excited and I think the atmosphere will be electric on Saturday. Oh, Kylie, it's so exciting that you'll be there. And, um, you know, we were talking to Katie last week about the excitement, of course, in the Melbourne Den and the same for you guys. We're, we're full of admiration. Caro and I have, have been dancing around the football game for years and we're both so thrilled to have two women presidents in this year's grand final and we wish you all the best and we hope you have a fantastic day. How's the day going to unfold for you? Well, I think I'll be excited to start with to just get out and be able to go get a coffee from a coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be a novelty. Um, I'd, be, I'd be going but, straight uh, to the hairdresser or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can neither conf confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, certainly preparing and getting ready to, to head off there at around 2 in the afternoon. So it'll be an exciting day, that's for sure. Thanks for joining us, Kylie, and in, enjoy or endure your last few days in quarantine and have a, well, have a fabulous day on Saturday or night. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Kylie. And now, Caro, it's that time of the week, our favourite time of the week when we're joined 
by Miles Thompson and the Cocktail Cabinet. Hello, Miles. Hello, hello. <laughs> How's it going? Did you have a nice week off? Uh, it was it was very good. It was a bit boring, but you know, I um I have my I have things to do, so I made the most of it. It was nice That's, to not nice to have a few sleep. It's very odd. I know before. I know a few friends have been asked by their companies could they take their annual leave now, and it's a bit odd because you can't go anywhere. But look, at least you don't have to do a Zoom meeting for a week, so that's always a blessing. Miles, oh, absolutely. Of- Talking of Absolutely. lockdowns and restrictions, uh, we can now have little tiny picnics with one another in the park. And you and I were discussing this the other day about little half bottles of wine, perfect for picnics. Can you tell us a bit what we should be doing? Oh, absolutely. I actually have been in charge of the half bottle section at Prince for a long time. I don't know whether I was given given the charge of it or whether I just took it, but I, I, I love it. I love it, the half bottles are so fantastic. You, you, you can get some really great value and not spend maybe as much as you would on a full. And particularly for picnics, they're perfect. Um, and for sharing, they're great as well. Um, you know, nice and small, nice and light. But I've got two today. I've got one, obviously, that you're going to love, which is the Pierre Pen Suave uh, 2020 and a half bottle. Um, I, I know you love the Suave, so I thought that would be a good one to start at least. I love the Suave, um, and I think also if we're talking about picnic lunches, that's just the perfect drop. Yeah, look, it is. It's lovely. You know, that's kind of not not too full body, but nice and clean and fresh. It's got plenty of fruit, that lovely sort of soft peachy fruit that you kind of get with Suave. And Piero Pan's a bit of a... Um, he sort of, you know, when there was a bit of kind of that, some of that innocuous sort of plant coming out of lots of Italy years ago, he was one of those people who sort of, particularly in Suave, said, no, I'm only going to use the best fruit from these vineyards in the best parts of, of, of the hill in Suave. Um, and sort of really sort of was the, I guess, the sort of standard bearer for, for really quality Suave. And, and so to have it in a half bottle is just like, it's so cool. I, I, I love, it runs out often, but I always order a whole bunch of them because I love them. And is Tiro Pan, is that the name of the winemaker or the winery? Yeah, so Pierre Pan is the is the is the is the um, name of the winery, um, and then it's Suave Classico. But 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 uh, I can't remember the winemaker's name. But he's he's considered you know a bit of a not not, um, not like an innovator, but certainly really just really sort of push the quality aspect and and really sort of put sort of Suave back into sort of you know people's that sort of you know put put them back on top as far as a, a quality white wine out of Italy. So he's pretty instrumental there. Sounds great. And what's the second one you have for us? So the second one I have is uh, the Oak Ridge um, Willow Lake Pinot, which is from the Yarra Valley. Um, people probably know Oak Ridge mainly for their Chardonnays and the 864. That's what David Bicknell, who the winemaker there, is very famous for. But he makes fantastic range of wines anyway. And this is off one of the sort of best um, vineyards in, in the Yarra Valley from the Willow Lake Vineyard. Um, this is their 2018 Pinot. Um, and it's just, I mean, I think they're such great value wines anyway. Um, this is their LVS, their local vineyard series range. Um, but then out of a half bottle, it's, it's just, you know, I think it's $24 um, from, you know, one of the great vineyards, Yarra Valley Pinot, and just from one of, you know, Australia's really great winemakers as well. Just a fan, fantastic and such a great wine. So good. 
Well, the good thing about a, a half bottle as well is that it gives you, if you're not entirely sure, particularly with a more expensive bottle of wine, if you're not entirely sure whether you want to commit, it does give you a chance to have a taste. And if you love it, then you can save up and try, you know, buy it later on, being assured that the taste is something you love. Yeah, I always think that too. I think, you know, you can, you know, you can kind of stretch your, your dollar a little bit further and, and, you know, you can often buy, you know, if you're going to buy two bottles of wine, you could buy sort of four bottle, four half bottles and, and have a little sort of taste of everything, which is really, really nice as well. Um, you know, two people, you can have a glass and a half each or whatever it works out to be, or three people, you know, you get a nice glass and a, a bit and you can open up something else and then something else again. So that's kind of nice too. Sounds like my kind of picnic. Hey, um, what, are the price, what are the prices and how can potties jump on board? Right, so the Pierre Pan Suave is $21 in the half bottle, and it's the 2020 vintage, and the Oak Ridge is uh, $24 in a half bottle. Um, so if you go to the website, um, you can go to the Don't Shoot the Messenger page there. The wines will be up, and if you put the code MEWS in at on the cart, you'll get 10% off of those um, yeah, so fantastic. Sounds great. And Miss Jane, you have some uh, something you want to talk about too re- relating to the restaurant next to Prince. Uh, yes, well, we actually heard from Alex last week about Bellotta next door to Prince Wine Store. They've got their grand final or bust boxes happening. So $80 for two people and 120 for three, but a whole lot of goodies in there. So you can order them now for grand final. But Corey, we had this beautiful email from Kim McKenna, who basically wanted to thank us. The podcast brings her and her sister Amanda together. Amanda's a teacher in a tuka. Kim's a nurse in Melbourne. They've had a really stressful year. They've got kids doing year 12 and Kim writes, on Saturday afternoon a surprise delivery was left on my doorstep. My sister Amanda set me uh, down some love for dinner from Bellotta. She'd sensed that uh, Kim needed a warm hug. Amazing surprise as recommended by Carol and Corrie to find the Bellotta box there. They sat down, ate the whole thing. It was wonderful and they were able to tell Amanda about it course by course. I mean, there's so many great little snacks in there, the sausage rolls, the borax, the Andalusian pork belly skewers, spicy chicken wings. I mean, Miles, I haven't eaten there. Corrie and Caro have. But uh, a great idea for grand final day as well, isn't it? Those sausage rolls are deadly. <laughs> really good. <laughs> I don't think they're ever going to come off the menu. I think they might be right if uh, if they did. Nikki's food's so good. Um, those boxes are really brilliant. And, you know, they say they're for two, but you could probably feed four from them. Um, they're really fantastic. It would be the perfect grand, grand final day, wouldn't it, Janie? If you if you got your little takeaway box and went to the park with a, a couple of miles as half bottles, and so you did the picnic at sort of four or five p.m. and then rolled on home to watch the granny on the telly. That's a pretty good day. Or just watch it on the oh, mobile yeah. phone in the park on your ko. <laughs> yeah, don't even have to go home. <laughs> just, start, just start dancing and forget the footies on. <laughs> Thanks, Miles. We'll put all those details in the show notes too, Corey. Thank you, Wonderful. Miles. Now, Caro, crush of the week for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and you have a crush. Oh, look, Corrie, it, it's got to be Tim Lane, my colleague at 3AW, who will be calling yet another grand final this weekend and who had a milestone birthday last Saturday, which we rather self-indulgently celebrated on air. Tim turned 70. Can you believe that? 
Well, I'm kind of glad about that, Cara, because I've always known that Tim's a bit older than you and I, so if he was turning... (laughs) If he was 60, you'd be worried. Uh, Congratulations, um, Tim. I I will never forget first meeting Tim in about, I reckon it was about the year Coco was born, 93 or 94, and he asked me to come and talk talk about football, being one of the few women in footy at the time. And I occasionally would go on his then program on ABC Radio. So I have um, huge affection for Tim and also his gorgeous daughter, Sam. Yes, who um, joined us on 3AW on Saturday for the first time in a rather historic moment. Look, I think Tim was quite chuffed about the attention we paid him. Lots of calls. We played a lot of music, a lot of Tim's favourite songs over the years. But when you think about all those years, he was really the linchpin of the ABC radio. And, um, and of course, the year um, the ABC, that strange year, that broad, I think it was Broadcom, brought the media rights, bought the media rights to then VFL football in the late 80s. And, um, and of course, the winner's show on the ABC and then um, the move to Channel 9 and um, his, you know, his stand really, I guess, against um, calling games with Eddie Maguire because I just think he felt that there was a, a bit of a bias there and uh, Collingwood games at least. He left Channel 9. He ended up, um, then he ended up at Channel 10, had a successful career there and moved from the ABC to 3AW and 3AW's been the big winner. So um, I'm really looking forward to hearing him call yet another one after all these years, you know, his passion for Tasmania, his interviewing skills, which I think are underrated. Um, he's a deserved crush of the week, Corrie. I agree with you. Happy birthday, Tim. Happy birthday from now, all of us here at Don't Shoot the Messenger. Now, Carol, on to You're going to do the heavy lifting for BSF, Corrie, so I will introduce it, and you're going to kick us off with a book. Yes, I am, Carol. This is called The Magician by Colm Toybean. Colm is an Irish writer. I'm a huge fan of his work. I think I've read pretty much every book that he's read in his rather stellar 30-year career, I guess you could say. Uh, The Magician is, it came out a couple of weeks ago. It is a fictional account of the life of Thomas Mann. It is a big book but it is incredibly accessible. Even though Thomas Mann, the German, the great 20th century German writer who won a Nobel Prize in 1929, even though his work is often considered somewhat inaccessible um, and uh, complex, and he was certainly a complex man, in the hands of Colm Toybin, this story comes to life, Cara. Thomas Mann, before our eyes, this wonderful portrait is drawn of this um, of this young boy who grew up in a very middle class ordinary German village, he was destined to inherit his father's business. His father died prematurely, and to Thomas's absolute shock, did not leave the business to Thomas, uh, left it to somebody else. So Thomas had to find his own way in life and quickly turned to writing. Ended up in Munich, and um, enjoying the bohemian life there, meeting writers, and his destiny was uh, set. During uh, his time in Germany, of course, World War One came and went. He became very disillusioned with Germany after the war. And then, of course, the rise of Adolf Hitler saw Thomas Mann and his family. Uh, he then, by that stage, had six children, all uh, leave the country um, in the 
early 30s. They then exiled for a moment in Switzerland and then they ended up in America. Thomas Mann taught at Princeton for a while, but then they spent most of their time in California. And that's where he did a lot of writing about World War II, a lot of writing about how Germany should be reconstructed post-war. And um, let's just say he didn't earn himself a lot of friends uh, within the Nazi party pre-war, but he, he knew all of the movers and shakers in Washington from the Roosevelt's uh, right through to the family who owned the Washington Post and so on. But, Caro, not only is this a great story of a writer um, who was complicated, as I said, he, he had to deal with his own feelings of his, about his own sexuality. Um, although married with six children, he uh, was very attracted to men, particularly young, attractive men. And one of his great novels, indeed, Death in Venice, if you've ever read it, does touch on that whole area of the older man falling in love with the beautiful boy. But this story is a really good old-fashioned family epic. There is sibling rivalry. There is uh, there's suicide. There's uh, passionate love affairs. There are bohemians in Munich. Um, there's his marriage, Thomas's marriage to the wealthy Katya, um, and and all of that kind of back backdrop of World War One and World War Two. It is such a fine book, and in fact, one of my favourite um, reviewers, John Self, in the Times this weekend said he believed this is Colm Toybin's best book and best novel. And I would tend to agree with this, Caro. I think watch this one next year when all of the awards start coming, like the Booker Prize and so on. This one will be in the running. Not all the reviews have been positive, though, have they? There were a couple of negative ones here in Australia. Uh, I was I was really perplexed on the weekend, Caro, by uh, the Saturday paper and also the the Age. I don't know why um, there was such concentration on Thomas Mann's life when the book itself is really what's under review. I found it. I found them perplexing because I just do not agree with them at all. But hey, that's why we have critics, isn't it? So, Caro, what about screen? What have you been watching, my friend? Oh well, I've been absolutely loving Vigil, which I think you've watched as well, haven't you? No, I haven't yet. I'm. I'm. Um, I've been doing um, hacks actually, which I'll talk about next week. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Love hacks. Um, well. Corrie, um, this vigil is on binge, very easy to get. Um, another absolutely brilliant, uh, I suppose, mystery, drama, but set on a submarine. Quite topical, really, in these times of <laughs> Australia's new um, partnership with England and um, the UK. But it, it opens with a murder. It's sort of in the it's a, the similar sort of realm of line of duty um, in the way it's done. And funnily enough, um, I think Martin Compson from Line of Duty plays um, the murder victim who we see a lot in um, flashbacks in Vigil. So um, the star of the show is Suran. I think you pronounce it Jones. She plays Detective Chief Inspector Amy Silver. She's a Scottish um, police detective chief, chief inspector. She has a fascinating and quite tragic backstory. You'd remember her from Dr. Foster, um, a really good a really good British act actor who's been in a lot of stuff that we've seen on the BBC and so forth. 
it is gripping. The scenes on the submarine are gripping. So there are two stories going on. What is going on on the submarine and all the pushback that Detective Chief Inspector Silver is getting from the Navy, who are being very uncooperative and some pretty dreadful things happened to her on the submarine, I might add. It's also got um, the guy from Endeavour, Sean Evans, who plays, you know, the young Inspector Morse on um, Endeavour. He's um, a petty officer who she forms a relationship with. He um, has a relationship um, with another uh, police woman who is conducting a lot of investigating back on the mainland. And what happens there is fascinating as well. Oh, oh there's MI5, there is, there's more deaths, there's a mystery virus. There's a lot going on in this show and I can highly recommend Vigil. Six parts, I'm four in and I'm gripped. And where am I watching it again? Binge. Terrific. As my husband keeps saying to me, how many accounts are we paying for now? But trust me, we should... We should have asked Kylie about um, all the different streaming services as well. But um, anyway, it's a great show and I highly recommend Vigil. Now, I cannot believe the recipe you are about to reveal. I thought this was a closely kept secret and no one was allowed to know how to make this one. Well, Darl, it's the power of the pot. When I asked our friend <laughs> Melly, would she reveal this recipe? She said, yes, of course. But interestingly, Caro, as a good cook, as, as a, you know, clever cook does, she hasn't given us any, uh, when she goes through the ingredients, we have no exact quantities. So, potties, over to you for free-falling here. But Melly Bilby is the owner and chef and brains behind Spoonful, which is uh, a really lovely uh, little restaurant and takeaway and catering company in Paran in Melbourne. And it's been there for many years in a little Victorian building and uh, we love it. And uh, they home deliver and last week they were delivering in my area. So I put in an order for our favourite dish, which is Tuscan meatballs. Now, have you had Melly's Tuscan meatballs before, Caro? Many times, including last week. <laughs> Absolutely uh, love them. Aren't they the best? So the recipe is oh. this. Miss Jane will put it on the show notes, but please don't ask us for quantities. You're just going to have to do it by taste, potties. Just free fall on this one. It's chicken mince, grated parmesan, cooked diced onion, mixed fresh herbs such as thyme, parsley, oregano and so on, marinated artichokes, chopped green olives, chopped garlic minced, salt and pepper. Mix all of that in your bowl, roll them into little balls, bake them in the oven, and once they're cooked, you add them to the Napoli sauce and simmer on a low heat. And in the Napoli sauce, we have crushed tomato, onion, garlic, seasoning, and sautéed onion and garlic. And you just cook all that off, um, put your meatballs in or your chicken balls in, and then serve it with pasta or just on a bed of spinach as we did the other night. Absolutely sensational, Melly. Gee, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to. Well, I, said, I was going to say, why would you bother when we can go and buy them at Spoonful? But I think the chicken is the secret ingredient, isn't it? They're absolutely delicious. And I think just mixing it with a bit of artichoke and green olives really gives it that super crunch. Caro, if anybody wants to organise a home delivery from Spoonful, they can jump onto spoonful.net.au. And I did notice when I was looking at their website earlier today, they have a grand final dinner, 
which is which has a Middle Eastern theme. There are quite a few courses. Uh, it's not overly expensive. So if you wanted to lash out lockdown Melbourneites and have a bit of a celebration, you could go on to Spoonful and organise one of their grand final dinners. So that's it for BSF. Thank you very much to Red Energy, powered by the Snowy Hydro. And if you want to give them a buzz and organise uh, that they take over your utilities at your house, just call them on 131H06. I must say you could do a lot worse than um, the spoonful uh, sausage rolls at your grand final celebrations too, Corrie. Now, um, you're grumpy. What are you grumpy about? And please tell me it doesn't have anything to do with our great Vic roads or anything to do with road rage or parking infringements. Nothing to do with cars, petrol or lack of, or that happened to me this week, or anything else, any of the above. Nothing to do with gambling ads during the family-friendly Brownlow medal count uh, program. And I could use the protesters and say I'm angry about them, but I won't do that. I'm grumpy, Caro, with the tiny little bird. Actually, as I'm speaking to you, I can hear him or her tapping away. It seems to have fallen in love with itself. I think this is what the cause is. It's fallen in love with its own reflection on my bathroom window. And as you know, in where we are at home, uh, Mrs Doubtfire has taken over one part of the house, in fact, the main part, the only part of the house with all of his work. And I am in my bedroom, which is a beautiful room, and I have a little tiny ensuite. So it's all very close. And this window is just the other day I just hear this tap, 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 tap. I'm going, what on earth? It took me a while to work out what it was. And it wasn't until I, dare I say, was getting ready to have a shower, I saw this little bird fly up to the window, tap, 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 and fly away again. Well, it goes nonstop from morning to evening. <laughs> Even when the sun's not out, I don't know what's going on. If anybody out there, any twitches, anybody who understands bird life, why is this little bird obsessed by my bathroom window? I can, yeah, birds can really, um, remember when, oh, remember in happier days when we were walking through parts of Cornwall, remember those seagulls waking us up in Foy? Remember how loud they were at our window? I remember you waking up one morning. I was already awake reading and you woke up going, Jesus, what's that? You thought they were in the bedroom with us. They were very loud. I don't mind being woken up by kookaburras, but I draw the line at seagulls. Uh, Corrie, do you want to kick off uh, six quick questions for Red Energy? I will, do. I will do. So what did you love about last Sunday's Brownlow and what did you not love? I loved that it was close and that it took till the second last round, even or you know before you probably guessed that Ollie Wines was going to win. I love it when a club who's never has a winner, never had a winner, gets a winner, and that was Port Adelaide. And... I love the fact that somebody actually put the medal around his neck, which they forgot to organise last year in the COVID-inspired win by Lockie Neal in Brisbane. Um, I didn't like the fact that, you know, and there's been a lot of talk about this all week, how many big-name midfielders get all the votes and, you know, the Coleman medalist hardly gets any votes. You know, the, the fact that the umpires just won't give, won't give votes to Fords and Ruckman and brilliant key defenders just completely defeats me. And I obviously did not love the fact that I wasn't there, Corrie, as you can imagine. Now, what about you? What about you? You're, you're always the fashionista at the Brownlow. You're our fashion judge. Do you have a 3-2-1? 
I do. I do, Caro. My number one was Julie Bishop, the former federal minister, uh, and I thought she looked absolutely stunning in a black and nude evening gown right to the floor. She looked incredible, I thought. So well done, Julie Bishop. The second vote goes to Brooke Parker, the partner of Dom Sheed of the Eagles. She wore a beautiful red jersey dress draped over one shoulder, the other shoulder bare. It fell to the floor. It was a really lovely fabric, a beautiful quality. It does look like jersey. And it fell to the floor and it had this lovely long train. I thought she looked so elegant. And then vote three, Caro, I think there were actually two ladies who wore the same dress as far as I can see. I haven't, It hasn't been mentioned, but it looks like they've worn the same outfit. But the one, one absolutely nailed it, I thought, and that was Rebecca Demarkian. And both she and Stuart Jew's partner, Sarah, they seem to have worn the same dress. It's a lovely black um, sheath, if you like, uh, strapless, but around the top of the black dress is a big cream bow uh which sort of it bows up at the side um and it they both looked very elegant in it but rebecca just won by a whisker because she had the stunning stunning black and diamante shoes high heel like really high and also she was she's a bit taller than sarah coming and i felt sarah probably should have gone for a different dress because the bow, I think it needed real height, you know. It was it would it sort of overwhelmed her. And can I just give a, a special mention to Emma Hawkins, Tom's wife, who posted a photo of her and Tom obviously at home, and she was in a leisure suit, a pale grey leisure suit, and I thought she looked absolutely stunning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but now, probably didn't make it three, two, one. Oh, no, but I had to mention it because who doesn't love a leisure suit at the moment? Caro, it was Emmys presentation this week. Gosh, it's been a big week for awards. What was your big surprise of the Emmys? Well, there were two, Corrie. I didn't particularly enjoy Halston, I've got to say, and I was surprised that Ewan McGregor won. I mean, interesting story, but just too sort of depressing and doom laden for me and oh, I don't know all that cocaine I was surprised that Ewan McGregor beat Paul Bettany and I even thought that Hugh Grant deserved a, a gong I thought he was really good in the undoing and obviously um the fact that Olivia Coleman did not do well in you know in all in the um, Golden Globes and Emma Corrin won for her this is um the crown of course the fact that Princess Diana she, the actress who played her, won previous awards for her performance as Emma Corrin. I, I thought she was brilliant as Diana, and I thought Olivia Coleman was good, but I thought Emma Corrin was better, and I thought um, even Olivia Coleman seemed quite surprised to win that one, didn't you think? Yeah, I, I did think that. I was very pleased, though, that Gillian, uh, what's her name, who played Margaret Thatcher? Gillian Nance. Anderson. Yeah, yeah, and I was pleased that she won because, as you know, at the time, although a lot of critics said that they felt that she overacted, I thought she did a sensational job as Margaret. Oh, I thought she overacted, and I, I love her as an actor, but no, I don't think that was her best. I knew I'd heard, I knew I'd heard that comment from somebody. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> hey, uh, Corrie, and this is obviously a pertinent question, Um Hello to Joe Biden. When was the last time someone forgot your name? Oh, well, um, 
I think probably most weeks on Don't Shoot the Messenger, actually, Caro, when we receive uh, correspondence from our potties because it's Caro. This is not a Marsha, Marsha, Marsha moment. Well, probably is actually, <laughs> truth be told. Uh, but it's always Caro, I loved your recipe or Caro, I loved your book recommendation. <laughs> I just don't think, maybe they just don't remember my name. What about you? Corrie, Corrie, it was only the other day that I ran into you at the coffee shop with my takeaway coffee and your walking partner, Anna, referred to me as Corrie. So I think it's a mutual thing. I don't think it's got anything to do with a Marsha, Marsha, Marsha moment. <laughs> I do get Carolyn a lot. Jeff Kennett calls me Carolyn all the time and it drives me nuts. Well, I think, you know what, I think he actually does that because he knows it drives you nuts. Hey, um, I think I um, probably asked you a question then you were meant to ask me, but we both had an answer. But I'll ask you this one because I think I know the answer given that it's all you seem to talk about at the moment. How difficult is it to name a new puppy? Well, thank you for asking, Cara. Can I just tell you, when you have grandchildren and other children and neighbours and other people with dogs... There is a lot of brainstorming going on about this. So the new puppy is doing very well, thank you. I received photos today. October is pick-up day. I'm not sure how we're going to do it because she's interstate, but we'll work that out. But the names, I all I've wanted, as you know, from like a year ago, is a puppy called Snips. That's all I want. Well, everybody's been feeding in. Oh, you can't call it Snips because it sounds like a vasectomy. Oh, I'm not going to the park and yelling out snips. So then I said, okay, what about Margaret? No, 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 you can't have Margaret. What about Trixie? No, no, no. So I keep, you know, like, what about, can we go back to snips? And then Sue, our friend who we often meet her lovely dog, Biscuit, she said to you and I one day, look, you've had Bearsy. Why don't you carry on a bear theme? What about Cub or Cubby? So Cubby went around the family, everybody feeding in. Panda. Panda. Oh. So Willow, Willow, one of my grandchildren, she wants Elsa after that uh, main character in Frozen, I think it is. So I just, I'm bes- well, so she's I just not a Born Free steps. fan from all those years ago. I, I just think of lion cubs when I hear Elsa. I must say, people do seem to workshop dogs' names for a long time. When we found out we were getting our new puppy, and she was coming from Queenscliff. Brendan just said, we're calling her Queenie. And not, there wasn't even a conversation. We just all said, oh, okay. And I think the same thing happened with Billy. Mate, mate, and Billy was tough because Billy was a girl and people always thought she was a boy. And, you know, then people said there was an identity crisis. But well, I, I think we've, we've um, robbed ourselves of hours of debate. I do look forward to hearing what you finally settle on, but it doesn't sound like you've settled on an answer yet. Well, I'd love to have Snips and Harriet, of course, being so loyal. She wants Snips because it's what I want. But the other option too is remember when you and I spoke at the Napier Club a year or two ago or two years ago now in Hamilton and we were both given as a thank you note shortbreads cooked by Topsy herself. I, I was cleaning out that jar the other day and I thought, Topsy, what a great name. Topsy's a great name. I like Topsy. Well, I'm glad. You see, that's the, that's the difference between you and I, Carol. You didn't ask anybody's opinion. I've gone the full committee. What does everybody think? Lesson to everybody, don't ask anyone. It's your puppy, you name it. And on that happy note, Caro, um, because it has, as you said earlier, not been such a happy week, um, I would like to thank you for your company 
Caro today and for um, a wonderful interview that uh, I really enjoyed hearing from Kylie uh, about her the forthcoming Bulldogs in the grand final. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and, of course, our friends at the Prince Wine Store. Always a great place to buy your grog, and they are delivering, or you can go and click and collect. You can connect with us here at Don't Shoot the Messenger via Instagram or Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered into your inbox each week, just hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes or just send Miss Jane an email and it is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. In fact, send us all your letters, your funny comments, any brickbats or bouquets. We love them and we'd also love you if you can give us five stars on the Apple um, podcast iTunes because that helps other people find us. Caro, big week. Who are you barracking for, by the way? Oh, look, I keep changing, but um, I'm barracking for the drought breaker. I love the Bulldogs, but they won it five years ago. I would absolutely love Melbourne to win for all my many, many Melbourne friends who've waited so long. Some of them weren't even alive when Melbourne last won the flag. And um, and obviously our great friend Mike Sheehan, big Melbourne supporter, who um, I think you're interviewing us on Friday, aren't you, to talk about the grand final and to talk about the Ds and the dogs? You. Thank you for the reminder. If anybody would love to join Drinks with Caro and Mike and Corey, Friday night we're doing it via webinar, 5.30 to 6.30. You can find details at uh, my website, which is called corryperkin.com.au, or you can look into the Instagram account, which is Corey is Reading, and you'll see all the details there. Caro and, and Mike are going to have a chat of course, we're in such great hands because they're two of Australia's most respected uh, sports reporters and journalists. And it's just going to be a guess, Caro. Who's going to win? We don't know. But you and Michael just talk the talk, talking footy. What a great way to spend grand final eve. So everybody join in. Caro, I look forward to seeing you on Friday via the little screen. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.